Well, thank you. Bless you. Well, good morning, and uh, it's just great to be with you all here this morning. It's been fantastic to be with you over the weekend. I do want to express my gratitude to uh, your pastors, Tim and Helen, for your, for your invitation, and, uh, and to Dave and, and the, the leadership team here. We've had a great weekend together, and uh, it's just been wonderful to see people coming to know Jesus and, uh, and lives being touched by the love and the power of God. So... Um, just a, a little bit about us before uh, I hand over to Connor, who's going to share briefly, um, and then I'll be back to share the word with us this morning. Um, I have the, the privilege of leading Mission 24 as a missions organization that I um, had the joy of, of, of founding um, a good number of years ago now. Uh, it's taken us around the world, preaching the gospel, and we've seen hundreds of thousands come to Jesus, uh, lots of churches planted, lots of miracles that the Lord has done, and uh, it's been a great, great joy. And so, um, so we spend our lives sharing the gospel and equipping the church to do the same. That's our, that's our focus. That's our heart. Um, and we have a, a conference that I just want to tell you about, uh, just very briefly here before I invite Connor up. That is going to be happening. Our first in-person conference. Um, it's such a joy, isn't it? Actually meeting together in person. Uh, this is our first in-person conference that's going to be happening. Uh, as the lockdown really eases and opens up. And that's Friday the 2nd and Saturday the 3rd of July. And it's happening up in Leicester. So um, obviously I'm going to be speaking there and uh, our guest speaker is Dr. Hugh Osgood. If you don't know Dr. Hugh Osgood, he, he basically heads up the Free Churches Group in, in England. It's the largest group of churches that exists in the country. Pretty much everything that isn't Anglican or Catholic, isn't it? Um, and so he's involved with oversight of many, many churches he, um, he really was uh, instrumental in the, in the uh, establishing of Billy Graham's great missions years ago, and Louis Palau, and lots of other brothers who came into our country and were a great blessing to us. So he's a lot to speak of, lots of experience, a wonderful man of God. He'll be sharing. Steve Barber will also be sharing. He leads Chroma Church, where the conference is going to be based. And Steve, for many years, was the primary um, church planter and trainer for church planting for the vineyard movement, uh, planting a number of, of large churches in the vineyard and helping a hundred other churches in the country to be established. A lot, a very apostolic guy. He's going to be sharing also, and um, it's just going to be a great time uh, in the presence. He's got a wonderful worship band. Danny Oates was Chris Bowater's worship leader for many years. He and the band are going to be leading us in worship. Um, so please do come along and join us. It'll be a fabulous time. So look, before I get into preaching, I can feel myself starting to go. So I'm going to just ask Connor to share briefly, and then I will be back in a few moments. Should we give him a warm welcome? Yeah. Thanks, Connor. Thanks, John, and good morning, everyone. It's a privilege to be here um, in Watford. We had a mission here a few weeks ago, and um, it's just uh, wonderful to see what God's doing and, and uh, to see what he's doing in Watford, that people are so open here to, to the gospel. And um, I think that's a fruit of your prayers. And so, um, yeah, keep going, because God is at work. Um, I just had a little word uh, from the Lord um, for you before Jonathan comes to speak, um, which will hopefully, uh, which will lead into what he's sharing, which is the cross and the gospel. And that is Psalm 34, verse 8. I'll taste and see that the Lord is good. And um, my sense was that um, for some of you here, some of you online, that you might be suffering things at the moment. 
but the Lord wants to remind you that he is good. He, is, he never changes. And as I wasn't planning on sharing um, this, but as we were worshipping, I just felt I should share a bit of my story um, briefly, which is um, uh, I was brought up an amazing Christian family. My dad was a vicar, but um, he um, unexpectedly passed away three and a half years ago and had a heart attack. Um, and I remember when I was a teenager, I resolved to say, whatever I go through in life, and I, hadn't, I didn't suffer much as a, as a, as a kid, um, I want to be able to say that God is good, and he's always good. And I want to tell you that um, having been through the loss of my dad, I can still say God is good. And I want you to know that you can say that God is good. He never changes. He loves you. He is a good father. So be encouraged that God is good. And what Jonathan's about to share is true, that Jesus died for you. He loves you. And he will lead you through whatever you might be suffering at the moment. He will heal your heart. He loves you. So, Father, I just thank you for uh, this, this congregation. Thank you that you are good, Lord. And I just ask that um, this morning, as Jonathan shares, each one of us would be aware of your goodness and your love for us. That you would heal our hearts and lead us closer to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. If you've got a, a Bible uh, with you, whether you're here presently or online, will you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And as you do, I'm going to pray for you. Father, we just thank you for what you are doing here in Watford. We thank you for what you're doing in Wellspring Church. Lord, we bless you because your purposes are great and you are a good and faithful God. And we thank you, Lord, that your word will not fail. But, Lord, you are building your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen. So, Father, we just pray that today you will speak to us through your word. You'll encourage our hearts. We pray, Father, that you would stretch out your hand to heal and restore, Father, each and every person who is watching or who is listening today. And, Father, we pray, Lord, that uh, not one person who comes under the sound of my voice today uh, would leave this place or would switch off from this broadcast without experiencing the joy of your forgiveness and the certainty of eternal life. To know the wonder of what it means to be a child of God and to be saved into the great purpose and plan of God. We thank you, Father, for your goodness to us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, look, I want to speak to us today about the power of the cross. I believe that we are, we are in a season right now here in the UK as it's not only about a physical lockdown easing and opening up, but it's actually a new season in God. And I believe that the Lord is turning his church inside out. And that's been needed for a long time in many ways. Uh, you know, we always say to people, before there is a come, i.e. to church, there must always be a go. Uh, that's, that's the nature of the gospel. Uh, Jesus said, go into all the world. And so that's part and parcel of what we are all about. And so as I show you about the power of the cross, this, of course it may feel like we're going back to absolute fundamentals. And <clears throat> of course we are. We're going back to fundamentals. This is what it's all about. 
But I find it stunning that the early church fathers saw the cross as something to glory in, something to celebrate, something that was the most excruciating, painful form of execution ever devised by mankind. And yet actually, Paul writes in Galatians 6.14, and he says this, God forbid that I should boast. Think about this for a moment. Perhaps the greatest leader ever known in the history of the church who could really could have boasted about the number of churches he planted, the number of leaders he raised up, the number of signs and wonders that he performed in the name of Jesus and his heavenly encounters and, you know, in the realms of glory. He, he could have boasted about all of that. But actually here he says, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of Christ by which I have been crucified to the world and the world has been crucified to me. My whole value system, my whole being, my nature and my purpose has been changed by what happened on that cross, is what he's saying. And that's the invitation of God to us all. In the cross of Christ, there is both substitution, which is what we'll major on today, and example. We know in Luke 9, 23, Jesus said, If anyone, male, female, young or old, would be my disciple or my follower, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Somebody once said, your cross is where your will and his will meets, and you surrender. <laughs> There's a lot of truth to that. Well, that's the daily path of the Christian life. And of course, that's what he's calling us to. So I want to uh, really major on the power of the cross. So my prayer is for every one of us today that if you have in some sense lost it, that today you would have restored into your heart the joy of your salvation. Amen. You know, I think believers who have lost the joy of their salvation, somehow their focus on the cross has gone AWOL. <laughs> they need to come back and make the main thing the main thing. And the cross is the main thing. And so we want to, to really focus on that. So here we are. Let me read this passage to us. First of all, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 to 24. And I'm going to really stress some emphasis here. Certain words so we really get the strength of what Paul is saying. Verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Really your response to the message of cross tells you the direction of travel your life is going in. Are you perishing? That word perishing is a horrible word. Literally translated, it means to become useless for the purpose for which we were created. We were created to reveal the glory of God. We were created to reflect and, and reveal the goodness and the love and the life and the power of God in this earth. And yet when we turn from Him and we live our own way, which is what the Bible calls sin, then there is a progressive dying to that purpose, a perishing 
which ultimately takes its expression in eternal judgment in hell, which is terrible and not what God designed any of us for. He designed us to reign with him, not only on this earth, but of course in heaven too. And so God has wonderful plans for our lives. And as we will see as we go through the message, the cross is God's great rescue plan to restore us and to change the direction of our life from death to life, from sin to righteousness, from hopelessness to hope, and to a whole new life together with God. It is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe or the lawyer? Where is the disputer or philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its own wisdom did not know God. Look at this, amazing. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Why does he mention the Jews and why does he mention the Greeks? Well, first of all, he mentions the Jews because their confidence was in their own self-righteousness. And we cannot come to God on the grounds of our own righteousness. In fact, the Bible is so explicit that it says our own self-righteousness is as filthy rags. You know, I can remember preaching the gospel back in my own hometown of Sutton in Surrey. And Sutton is a, is a very mixed bag. I don't know Watford well enough yet to know how much of a mixed bag it is, but Sutton is a very mixed bag. At one end of Sutton, you have Cheam, which is one of the wealthiest parts of England, and more millionaires than almost anywhere else in the UK. So you've got that on one side, and at the other side, you have the Rose Hill Estate, one of the poorest estates in London. And, so, and everything meets in the town centre. And so I can remember I'm preaching the gospel on the streets, we're praying for people, and I just finished ministering to a young fella who was dressed in filthy denims and he stank of alcohol and he was very dirty. He was a drug addict and he was overwhelmed at the grace of God that would forgive him and give him a new beginning in life. And he sobbed in my arms as he came to Jesus and was wonderfully saved. As I'll introduce him to the pastor and, and of course, so the journey continues. But while I've got him and I'm holding him in my arms as he sobs and as I'm praying for him, I can see over my shoulder a man that I, I shall describe as Mr. Armani, <laughs> you know, who's watching me from a distance, wearing a three-piece suit. He's a vet, looks like a very dignified, well-dressed businessman. And he's standing there and I can see and sense from him that he's almost fuming as he's looking at me. And uh, so I thought, this is going to be interesting. So I finished praying in this chap and handed him over to the pastor, at which point Mr. Armani steps up to me. And he puts out his hand and says, Jonathan, like this. And uh, I said, uh, yes, sir. He looked at me and said, um, I want you to know I'm a very good man. I thought that's a strange way to start a conversation. But anyway, I said, well, uh, I'm glad to hear it, sir. He said, I've been listening to your preaching. And I want you to know, he said that... Um, I don't need God. I don't need Jesus, he says. And I certainly need no forgiveness. 
He said, I have a great wife, great children, a great job. I've always lived a very good life. I pay my taxes and I've never needed anything in life and I certainly don't need forgiveness. I thought, wow. So I said, let me just shake your hand again, sir. It's just amazing to meet a perfect man. You know, I said, I, you know, I must be honest with you. I've never met a, you know, a perfect man before. Except, well, just one other, but his name is Jesus Christ. I said, so, anyway, I said, but uh, amazing to meet you. Uh, I said, but however, <laughs> I said, um, before you go, you obviously don't feel that I have anything to offer you. So I don't want to waste your time. You're obviously a busy guy. I said, but before you go, I said, I just want to leave you with a few thoughts to contemplate on your way along the high street today. He said, well, what's that then? I said, well, it does surprise a lot of people that the laws of God were never given to make us righteous. I said, the laws of God were given to expose our need of him, our need of forgiveness. So I said, um, so let's just see for a moment and have a look in, in the mirror of God's word to see where things are really at. So look, let's forget about the first one for a moment. I said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. I said, because nobody does that perfectly every day, which means we all need forgiveness every day. So I said, so let's just forget about that one for a moment. Let's move on to a few more specifics. So here's, here's one. Uh, the law of God says that uh, you shall not commit murder. He said, I want you to know, he said, that I have never murdered anyone, Jonathan. I said, I'm so pleased to hear it, sir. <laughs> However, I said, Jesus goes even deeper and he says actually that if you hate somebody, you've murdered them already. Can I ask you, sir, have you ever hated anybody? Maybe a business partner who diddled you out of some money or maybe even, maybe even inland revenue. Maybe, maybe you know, you, you went round or you were going round a roundabout and somebody cut you up and something slipped out of your mouth. Has anything like that ever happened? Just maybe? He said, well, well, well. <laughs> So, okay, I, I don't want to burn you. Let me just move on to another one. I said, the law of God says you shall not commit adultery. He said, I want you to know. So I have, he said, Jonathan, I have always been faithful to my wife. I said, I'm so pleased to hear it. He said, however, Jesus goes deeper and says, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery, which probably means every fellow in the world has at some point or another. So I said, uh, can I ask you, sir, have you ever, ever, just maybe, looked at a woman with lust in your heart? He looks at me and he said, well, you yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said, all right, let's move on. I said, so, I said, so here's another one. Um, I, I don't want to you know, burn you or anything, but uh, here's another law of God. It says that um, the law of God says that the law will not hold guiltless the man who takes his name in vain. Have you ever said, oh, my? Okay, so look, I'll tell you what, before we finish our conversation, let's just rewind to the beginning. So at the beginning, you very graciously told me that you were a perfect man. In fact, that you needed no forgiveness. You didn't need God, you didn't need Jesus, but certainly the major issue was you didn't need any forgiveness. And now at the end of our conversation, you freely admitted to me actually that you're a blasphemous, adulterous murderer. I said, so, I said, do you think perhaps now you need forgiveness? <laughs> he looked at me and said, um, where were those booklets you were giving out? <laughs> this is the point, is that actually we all need what the Bible calls grace. Somebody described grace as God's riches at Christ's expense. Not at your expense, not at my expense, but at his expense. This is, this is, this is what the, the great writer John Newton wrote his beautiful song, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And in the cross of Christ, we see so many things that God did for us. 
through his death on the cross. But today I only have time to mention four of them. So I'm just going to whiz through this. But let it find a place in your heart today. The wonder of the love of God for you and me. It's not earned. It's totally given. And so we find this number one in the cross of Christ, in this great exchange of the cross, we see that God, through His Son Jesus, bore our sins away in His own body at the cross, that we might be made righteous in the sight of a holy God, that we may be declared right to have right standing with God. One of the illustrations that's often used to describe righteousness, it's actually, it's, it, the word is interchangeable with the word justice, or to be justified uh, in New Testament Greek. And it comes from the Greek legal system. And it means that if you were standing before the court, and the judge there, all of your misdeeds were read out before the court, and the judge looks at you and he leans over the bench, and he looks at you and he says, he says, I condemn you as guilty. He brings down the hammer. He reads out what your punishment is. You're just about to be sent away to pay the penalty for your misdeeds. And suddenly, here's the picture. The son of the judge comes suddenly running into the courtroom and says, Father, before you send him down, you and I both know that you love this man or that you love this woman. Although I've never done anything wrong, let me stand in his place or in her place. Let me take their full penalty and let them go free as if they had never done anything wrong. At that moment, the judge leans over. I've been in a few courts. I come from a family of lawyers. And he leans over and looks at you and says, Madam, do you accept this offer? <laughs> Only a fool would turn around and say, no, actually, I want to pay my, the price for my own sins, thank you. <laughs> Tragically, many people do that. But for everyone who accepts the free gift of a pardon because the son has paid the penalty, they receive forgiveness, a clean slate, a brand new start with God. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says this, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's been my joy over 32 years to see many, many people around the world come to know Jesus. There is no joy like the joy of seeing someone come to know the Lord. And I can remember one particular one that stands out to me. And it's one I was preaching in the Philippine Islands in my days working with Don Double, a great evangelist, and we were preaching in Mindanao, the Muslim-dominated part of the Philippine Islands. And as we were preaching, 20,000 people on an open field, the glory and presence of God was very heavy over the meetings. But I'm not joking when I say literally one in every 15, 20 people had a gun on their side. Uh, sometimes you'd be preaching, they didn't like what you say, they would reach out for the gun, and you'd kind of think to yourself, well, if I'm going down, I'm going down fighting. <laughs> so you just you know, preach even stronger. I thought, you know... But, the, you know, so you'd preach with guns going up and down through the whole sermon, you know. It's not like preaching in Watford. So, um, but, you know, I, I can remember being in that setting. And one particular night, there was a man, a fairly infamous man in the community called Johnny Hitman. That's what they called him. And that's because that's what he did for a living. He bumped people off. 
and uh, and you know he was uh, he was a, a Muslim terrorist and. And I can remember that that night he heard the good news of the gospel, that if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away and all things have become new. And he wanted to receive the grace of God. And I mean, he gave his life to Christ that night, radically changed. By the end of that, that meeting, of that mission rather, we had a great baptism service, baptizing loads of new converts. And I can remember Johnny Hitman wanted to give his life to the Lord. And I had the privilege of baptizing him in water. And as I took him down in the water, I didn't ask for a vision. I wasn't looking for it. But as he went under the water, I suddenly had a vision. And I saw blood coming off his hands. And I said, Lord, what is that? The Lord spoke to me. And he said, that is the blood of all the lives he has taken. And never again will I require it from him. When he came out of the waters, I said, Johnny, you can never be called Johnny Hitman again. We're going to give you a new name. And uh, I said, because you are a new creation. The old is gone. Do you know that man today is a pastor in the Philippines, giving life instead of taking it? That is the power of the gospel to transform lives. So the first thing that God has done for us through the cross of Christ is that he has taken away our sin and he has made us righteous in his sight, and it is a gift from God. It's good news, isn't it? Amen. Amen. There is no one out there in Watford, in the UK, or anywhere in the world who is outside of the reach of the grace of God to transform. Number two, through the cross, Jesus bore our sicknesses and our diseases. And 1 Peter 2.24 says, And by his wounds... We were healed. The prophet Isaiah had prophesied this 600 years before Christ came into the world with piercing accuracy. And it's a remarkable thing. And then Peter, looking back to the cross, says we were healed by his wounds. Finally, in Matthew 8, 16 and 17, it says that when evening had come, they brought to many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the demons with a word, and he healed all who were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. He himself bore our infirmities and carried away our sicknesses or pains. Well, there are some people who kind of, some theologians who argue that all of that happened on that day. Well, that's not true. It's not true that because the fulfillment of it, let me just say for a moment, that in Greek, the writer Matthew uses, don't want to get too much into stuff like this about Greek and theology, but he uses a tense called the aorist tense. And the aorist tense is a tense that means something that happens, it's done, it's complete, and then evermore shall be. It's the same word that's used when Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. And it's literally best translated, it is finished and evermore shall be. Amen. And so uh, it was all the aorist tense. And so that's exactly what happened here. Jesus healed them all to fulfill that. But then not only was he fulfilling it at that moment, healing them all, but he was releasing something that will carry on throughout the church age until Christ returns. There is still healing today in the wounds of Jesus for all who believe in him. And do you know, my, this is a very personal testimony um, from our own family. My grandfather is now with the Lord. But I can remember in his 70s, he started to bleed profusely from his bowel. He was really in a bad way. And um, so he, he was a very wealthy man. And so he went into um, 
to get immediate attention, he booked himself into St. Anthony's Hospital, a private hospital in North Cheam. And they did uh, x-rays and they showed a, t- a totally shredded bowel by a form of cancer that had eaten away at his bowel. And they said to him, Roy, we're really sorry about this. We're going to have to get you in on Saturday. You're gonna have to, we're going to have to remove a whole chunk of your bowel and you're going to have to live with a colostomy, a bag on the side for the rest of your life. Well, both my dad and I, of course, didn't want that for him. And so um, we prayed for him. I don't know if you experience this, but sometimes in family, familiarity can be a bit of a stumbling block with faith. And so I took him along to a pastor friend of mine that I knew moved a lot in healing ministry. And we were putting our faith in agreement with him. <clears throat> and, you know, that night the pastor laid hands on him. And sometimes when you pray for people, of course, you really do tangibly feel the power of God or the person being prayed for really feels the power of God. But my granddad didn't feel anything at all. He came out of the, the meeting and he said to me, well, John, what do I do now? He said, I, you know, he said, I expected to feel something sort of like lightning from heaven or some sort of fire. Or, I didn't feel a thing. He said, well, what do I do now? I said, well, the first thing to do, um, granddad, is, is you need to, by faith, say thank you, Jesus, for healing me. Based on the promise of God that you will recover. Hands have been laid on you and that uh, Jesus promised you will recover. So this is what we're going to do. You've got now three days before the operation. So what we're going to do is we're going to start thanking God each day by faith for your healing, believing that you've received it. And I said, now, if the bleeding stops, which is what we're believing for over the next 24, 48 hours, you need to go in and sit with a consultant and say, I want another x-ray. All right? I said, if the bleeding doesn't stop, we also, and we're not believing for that, but we've also got to be practical. If the bleeding doesn't stop, you need to go through with it because it's your life. Anyway, 24 hours go by, there's no bleeding. 48 hours go by, there's no bleeding. So he goes back. Now, you have to understand my granddad. He was a regimental sergeant major in the British Army, and he was a straight-talking man. So uh, no messing. So he sits down with the consultant, and he says to him, Listen, he said, um, I know you're planning on cutting me open and <clears throat> all the rest of it. He said, but something's happened. He said, the bleeding has stopped. And, you know, the consultant is not a Christian. He said to him, Roy, and he knew that Roy was, that my granddad was a Christian. He said, Roy, don't give me any of this God stuff. He said, listen, this is your life. Don't mess about this. He says, listen, he said, um, I've been prayed for and I believe that God has healed me. He said, besides which I'm paying. So send me down for an x-ray. <laughs> All right. So he sent him down for an x-ray. Well, anyway, when the x-ray came back, the consultant looked at it for a moment and then he said to him, listen, Roy, he said, um, I don't know what's going on here. They must have, it must be a mistake. It must be they've got the wrong bloke. He said, I'm going to send you down for another one and this one's on us. And so he sent him down. When it came back again, he shows the diagnosis x-ray that shows a shredded bowel and then shows the one after prayer that shows a brand new bowel. Now, he literally, he said, he said this to my grandfather. He said, listen, I don't understand this, and you know I'm not yet a Christian. He said, but I have to say this to you. He said, you haven't had any medical intervention at all. But even if you had, there is nothing in medical science that can produce that. He says, that is the hand of God. He says, and you can put my name on that. He said, however, I have to do the medical thing. I will see you once every six months for the next six years. It's standard protocol. But it never came back. What am I saying? Look, I, I just want to say, do you think, honestly, that Jesus loved my grandfather more than he loves you? No. 
He loves us all, doesn't he? We see again and again through scripture that compassion is the major, major motivating force in Jesus to heal the sick. He was moved with compassion and he healed their sick. Jesus is moved with compassion for you today and for your loved ones and for you if you're watching. And nothing is impossible with him. Number three, not only did Jesus take our sins to make us righteous, not only did he carry our sicknesses that we may be healed, but the Bible also tells us that he bore away our curse, our bondage. Many people in life are in bondage to one thing or another. I've preached in a lot of prisons through the years. I'm always relieved when they let me out again. But, but I always tell the guys in the prison, actually, listen, the truth about it is, is that your prison is very obvious to you. It's, it's physical. But well before you ever had a physical prison that you were living in, you were living in another kind of prison, and it's an internal one. And that's what got you in here in the first place. And I've come here to tell you that actually before you get out of this place physically, you're going to get out of your prison spiritually so that you don't have to come back here. And the truth is that Jesus can set us free. And maybe here today, you've got a prison on the inside. It could be to any, any number of issues. You know, um, you never know who you're talking to. It can be drugs, drink, porn, you name it. It can be um, depression. It can be, you name it. But let me tell you, I just want to say to you that Jesus can set you free. And that's the truth. Galatians 3.13 says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree, that the blessing of Abraham may come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. Colossians 1.12-14 says that he has delivered us from the power of darkness. That word power actually in the Greek is the word exousia, which is authority. And that means that Satan has no authority over a believer's life. Well, you know, when he tempts you to sin, what's he really after? Let me tell you, he is after more than just a, a bit of misbehavior for a few moments. He's after your authority. He, he's after your allegiance. He wants your, ultimately, of course, he's desperate for worship. And if he can get you to bow down to him by submitting to him, he'll take anything. He's that desperate. Don't give it to him. Don't give it to him. Let me just say this. We have been delivered out from the authority of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have, present continuous tense, redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Thank God. A remarkable transfer has taken place. We all know about transfers. We, we hear of these uh, unbelievable, to me, gross amounts of money spent transferring one footballer from one team to another. If I was the Prime Minister of England, and probably for this reason, I probably never will be. But um, if I was the Prime Minister of England, I think I would put a cap on all footballers' earnings. Uh, and after about 100000 I would ensure that the rest of it went to the NHS and schools and policing. But anyway... It would solve all of the financial problems in the UK. Anyway, there we are. And uh, I can see that's not desperately popular, so I'll just carry on <laughs> preaching. So, but let me tell you right now, whatever price, monetary price, that people put on a football player or somebody like that, you cannot 
place a price on your soul, on a human being. God looked at you and felt that you were worth dying for. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? That God would become a man. By the way, I don't know if you've studied world religions. I did before I made an adult recommitment of my life to the Lord many years ago. But let me tell you this. There is not a religion on the planet that teaches that God became a man and then died in the place of the creatures he created for the sins they committed against him. It's unique. No religion in any part of the world teaches that. The message of the cross is totally exclusive to Christianity. And Jesus is the only person to have ever died, been raised back to life, never to die again. He is unique. The risen Son of God. And today there is deliverance and there is forgiveness for each and every one of us. You can be free today. I had a friend, when we lived here in the South, we had a, a, I had a friend called Alan. And Alan was a great guy. He, we kind of befriended him as a family. We actually only got to know him when he was just coming out of his sixth drying out session. He was an alcoholic. And actually, Alan, he had become a publican. And like a lot of guys, he was desperate for a job and couldn't find a job, but he decided he had the opportunity to take on a pub. And he thought, that's fine. But he had a bit of a problem with alcohol, but it was relatively under control. And like everybody in that kind of world, he thought, that's fine. I can handle it. Tell me the old, old story. And, you know, but he got to a place where he could not function without drinking a litre of vodka to start the day. That sounds almost impossible. But he went through six drying out sessions and every time he'd go back to it. Finally, he came to the place where the doctor said to him, your liver is in such a bad state, if you don't stop drinking, you'll be dead in six weeks, Alan. At that moment, he started seeking God. Isn't it a shame that for some folks, they just won't turn to God until they're right on the bottom? That's not God's plan for us. He wants to be our best friend, not just our sort of crisis manager. But at that moment, we met him, and it was a God appointment. And I remember at that time, any of you who know the ministry of Rhema in South Africa and Ray McCauley and people like that. I can remember it was one of the first visits Ray McCauley was doing to England and we hosted him for a meeting down in Sutton. And I'll never forget that night because as Ray preached the gospel, he gave an appeal and Alan came running down the front, the first one down there. And as he was giving his life to Jesus, there was lots of people down there praying and receiving the Lord. Ray, who didn't know Alan from Adam, (laughs) suddenly pointed at him and said, Sir, I don't know what this is about. But the Holy Spirit says to you, never again. And from that moment to this day, and we're talking well over 30, 35 years, Alan has never touched a drop of alcohol. You know, I think, I think people like Alcoholics Anonymous and others like that do a great job. And thank God for all the recovery centers and stuff like that. But you know, one word from God could just change everything. Change everything. One encounter, one word from him. I could give you so many stories, but time doesn't permit. I want to wrap things up. Um, you could turn with me, if you like, to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. I believe this is a verse that is particularly pertinent right now for the age in which we're living and COVID. 
Here we are. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Inasmuch then as the children, that's you and me, have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power or the authority of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. I think probably the fear of death is the greatest fear that exists in humanity. And behind it, the fear of rejection by God, ultimately. You and I were not created to die. We were created to live and to live eternally. I think it's this, there is a natural aversion to death, to state the obvious, in every one of us because we weren't made for that. Death entered the world through sin. Through the sin of the first man, Adam. And that's why righteousness and life, forgiveness, had to come into the world also through a man. Jesus, the last Adam and the second man. Some people call him, the, he is not the second Adam. That's not good theology. He is the last Adam. He is the end of the old sin-dominated Adamic order. And he rose from the dead as the second man, the beginning of the new creation of God. Now let me just tell you, Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. But we can be delivered from the fear of death. We do not need to live our lives subject to the fear of death. Amen. You know, um, Rick Warren, who leads one of the largest churches in the state, Saddleback Church, and wrote the fantastic book, you know, The Purpose Driven Life. I heartily recommend it to you. You get it on Amazon. Great book. And um, he writes in the last chapter, and he makes a statement. He says, as the pastor of one of the largest churches in America, I have been at the bedside in the last moments of some of America's greatest entrepreneurs, some of America's greatest sporting heroes and famous people who are in the film industry and people like that. He said, without exception, every single one of them has asked me this question in their last moments. Pastor, what's going to happen to me? Is everything going to be all right? He says, somehow those moments bring firmly and clearly into focus what life is really all about. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has placed eternity in the hearts of men. And instinctively, we all know there's more to life than the nine-to-five grind and all of the work that we're involved in, the busyness of life and all of that. I think it was um, George Harrison of the Beatles who made the statement in his autobiography where he comes to the end of the book and he says, I've had everything the world could offer me. These are his words, not mine. He said, I've had all the wealth all the fame, he said, and all the women. But here I am, he said, in the last moments of my life, the doc says I have five minutes left to live. And I am haunted by the three questions 
that have followed me through the whole of my life. Who am I? Why am I here? And where am I going? And actually the answer to those three questions are all and only found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You discover who you truly are. You discover your purpose for living. And you discover where you're going. Jesus said, do not be afraid. I go to prepare a place for you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And I will come to take you to be with me. In those last moments before somebody takes their last breath in this life, for those who don't know the Lord, they will see death coming for them. It's a spirit, not just an experience. But Jesus said that for those who believe in him, they will not see death, for they have passed from death into life. Thank God you will see the Lord coming for you. I've had the privilege of seeing five people raised from the dead uh, through the years. It's all the Lord. I can't take any glory for it. I know myself too well. Uh, It's just the grace and mercy of God. And to be honest, I didn't go looking for dead people. It just seemed to be the appropriate thing to do at the time. Uh, it's, it's what happened. Two of them died in my meetings. I promise I didn't preach too long, but, I just, but, but it's just what happened. And God took over. That's all I can say. God took over. Um, you know, but one of them I'll never forget. She saw the Lord coming for her. But then she told me, I heard in the distance your voice saying, death, let go of her. Receive life in Jesus' name. She said to me, when you said those words, receive life in Jesus' name, I saw a strong wind come out of Jesus like a breath and it went out of him and it suddenly came inside of me and I suddenly found myself breathing and I opened my eyes and looked up and there you were. I said, that's good enough for me. (laughs) I said, that's thank God. She went back to her village and many people came to Christ through her testimony. Well, I want to ask you today, Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour? Have you received this abundant grace, this amazing grace? Are you sure you're forgiven? That if you died right now, you'd go to heaven? Do you have that assurance? Or are you somebody who's never given your life to Christ? Or maybe somebody who gave your life to Jesus many years ago, but you've never, you've gone away from the Lord. And maybe you don't love him now like you used to love him. Come back like the prodigal son that Jesus told us about. The father is running to you with open arms. My, he did, the, the prodigal boy didn't even get the chance to, to get his prayer of repentance out, did he? Before the father had wrapped his arms around him. He said, come here, son. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. That's the heart of our God. Wherever you are today, if you're here in the room, or whether you're watching online, I'm going to pray a prayer And I invite you to pray this prayer with me right now. I'm going to say it line by line. Please repeat it out loud. The Bible says, and this is an amazing promise on which I gave my life to Christ many years ago. It says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you believe, it's intensely personal, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, and if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. That's a cast iron promise from God. It involves repentance. 
saying, Lord, I'm turning from sin, from living life my way to go your way. I'm believing that you are the Son of God, that you died for me and rose again, and I am confessing that Jesus is Lord. You've got to do your own repenting, your own believing, and your own confessing. No one else can do it for you. But Jesus said, if you confess me before people, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. It's something you must do publicly. You must tell someone once you pray that you have been become a Christian. Amen. You cannot be a closet Christian. You've got to nail your colors to the mast. All right? So here we are. We're going to pray the prayer. And so I'm going to pray it out loud. Please just let's bow our heads, close our eyes, help us to focus on the Lord. And I'm going to invite all of us to pray the prayer to support those who need to pray it for a first time or a recommitment to Christ. Let's say this together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love me and that you died for my sins on the cross. I believe in you, that you are God's Son. I'm sorry for my sins, Lord, and I turn away from them to follow you. I believe that you are risen from the dead. So come into my heart, Lord. Change my life. I commit myself to you the whole of my life to follow you from this day forward. I boldly confess that Jesus is Lord and you are the Lord of my life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. And right now, giving me a new life. I am now a child of God. God is my Father. And heaven is my eternal home. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I'd like us just to keep our heads bowed, our eyes closed, just for a moment. Remember what I said to you, the words of Jesus, if you confess me before people, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. Jesus is waiting to confess you before the Father right now. If you're online, you can do this by simply typing in, saying, I prayed the prayer. Okay, that's all you need to do. Or just say, I did it. Okay, we'll know. We'll be in touch and encourage you. And help you in any way that we can in your new relationship with Jesus, your new life with him. Well done. God bless you. If you're here in the room and you prayed that prayer for a first time or a recommitment to Christ, I'm going to count down to three. And when I finish counting down to three, that's your signal to raise your hand up and put it down again. Here you are. One, two, three. Just put your hand up like this and take it down again. God bless you, bless you, bless you. All right. Little girl as well. God bless you, love. Anybody else you need to respond? Take that moment. Just quickly raise your hand and put it down again. I won't go on any longer than this, but this will be your opportunity. Anybody else who needs to, just quickly raise your hand. God bless you, love. Tremendous. Okay. Well done. I now know that you've given your life to Christ and I welcome you to God's family. But I want to encourage you to make yourself known to the leaders of the church here today, okay? Come and see Pastor Helen or, or Dave or one of the other leaders here or Kev over here or any of the leaders who are here. Just come and make yourself known and they want to help you. Welcome to God's family. It's the best decision you can ever make. There's one last thing I want to do before handing back to Dave and it's simply this. 
We said today that Jesus is the healer. Now I understand that I may not be allowed to come around and lay hands on everybody today. But what I can do is speak the word. And Jesus healed many people in the Gospels by the power of the spoken word. And I would say not only from platforms around the world, we've seen many healed that we couldn't go to personally and lay hands on. And Buddha spoke the word and Jesus met with them where they are and healed them. But during this pandemic, many times on the screen like this and, and you know, just simply speaking the word, and people have been healed. We've had crippled people, uh, paralyzed people, get, literally get up and walk um, through watching a, a prayer on the screen. Uh, deaf ears have opened, and blind eyes have been, uh, their sight has been restored, um, literally through a prayer on the screen like this. So look, Jesus can do anything. So I'm going to invite you now, whether you're here in the building or you're watching online, if you need healing, would you please just place your hand where you need Jesus to heal you? If it's a personal area, just rest your hand on your tummy or something. Uh, that doesn't mean if you've got a stomach problem, we all think it's a personal area, by the way. <laughs> but just, um, just do that. So you can put your hand anywhere, but just rest it somewhere. Believe in God at this moment. And the Lord's going to see that act of faith and put his hand on you. Jesus is where you are. Jesus is. Jesus the healer is where you are. He's in you. He's on you, he's with you, and he's your healer. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Lord, I ask you to confirm your word right now in people's bodies who are right here in the building and in those who are watching. I thank you, Lord, that you are our healer today and that by your wounds we were healed. We celebrate the finished work of Jesus. Today, in the mighty name of Jesus, I take authority over every spirit of fear, of trauma, of infirmity. Be gone in Jesus' name right now. The spirits of death involved, particularly with COVID, anybody who's been suffering with effects of COVID, I rebuke the spirit of fear, infirmity and death that's all involved in, in COVID. I rebuke that and say, leave in Jesus' name right now. And I speak breath into your lungs now, in the name of Jesus, receive the breath of God into your lungs. And if you've got asthma, take this for your healing too. Be healed in the name of Jesus. And fear and asthma come out and go in Jesus' name at this moment. Father, I speak life and healing into every organ right now in the name of Jesus. There's somebody here who suffers with a heart condition. You take tablets for it to monitor it. And actually, it's all to do with the, um, uh, I forget the exact thing. I know it's to do with the fibrillation sort of thing, but it's to do with the, uh, with the rhythm of the heart. And I just speak to that today in the mighty name of Jesus and command it to be healed. Come into perfect rhythm, perfect rhythm. Be healed in Jesus' name and let the blood pressure return to normality. Father, we thank you for that healing in the name of Jesus. When I was talking about my grandfather, there's a gentleman here, actually there's two, that you've had sprinklings of blood from your bowel. And I just speak healing today. It may not be cancer at all, maybe something entirely different, but nonetheless, I speak healing into that area. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, be healed. We thank you, Father. Somebody who had a car accident uh, two, three years ago, and I see that actually um, your spine both in the upper part of your spine uh, and actually in the mid to lower part. 
um, you had some vertebrae that kind of went, went out. Um, and I just speak to that in the name of Jesus and command those areas of your vertebrae to come into perfect alignment now in the name of Jesus Christ. Let all the inflammation associated with that be totally healed in Jesus' name. Totally, totally healed. Do you know, actually, there is somebody watching right now that when I talked about uh, the alcohol problem that Alan had, you actually do have a problem with alcohol and you're watching right now. And I just say to you, he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And right at the very root of your issue was a breakup of relationship and you've blamed yourself ever since for all that happened. And I just say this to you, the Lord is in the business of restoring families and healing broken hearts and broken homes. And today in the name of Jesus, he wants you to know you are a forgiven man. You are loved. You are chosen by him and totally forgiven. And He is restoring you and setting you free today. So in the name of Jesus, Lord, just dry up that whole desire for alcohol. In Jesus' name, we break the bondage of it and release your love and your healing into that broken heart. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Amen. For everybody watching, thank you so much. It's been a real privilege to share the Word of God with you. And... uh, Yeah, man, just encourage you every day just to keep saying yes to Jesus and walking with him is the very best thing you can do. He'll never let go of you. And God bless you, everybody, as well, who are here in the church. It's been a privilege to share with you today. Uh, Have a great day. God bless you.